And this morning, I want us to spend just a bit of time asking for Jesus' name and Jesus' power to come into some situations and some circumstances. You know, a week ago, I got back from Arnhem Land and I got this message this week about this, this man that we prayed for that had cancer in his body, had tumours and he was prayed for. And we got a message this week saying that he went to his doctor and that there was no trace of cancer in his body. No trace whatsoever. Because at the name of Jesus, the darkness trembles. And this morning I want us, you know, it's the same God, the same Jesus that we worship in the, in the open air in Arnhem Land that it is here in Maitland. He hasn't changed. He's the same yesterday, today and forever. And we're going to pray in the moment for people that are in this place that need a healing in their body. They need God to heal their body. There's something that's wrong and you're asking God to come in and heal. And the other thing I want to declare Jesus' name over. Josh touched on it earlier about loved ones, family members that have maybe been raised up to know God. Maybe like the Perry family, they were dedicated as a child, but right now they're not walking with God. They're not in relationship with God. This morning we're going to pray and we're going to ask that they would be drawn back to relationship with God, that they would, the sons and daughters would be called home. And church, I want us to do this together as a community. So what I'm going to ask you to do, if either of those two things is you, that's something in your world that you're praying for someone to come back to know Jesus Christ, or that there is a sickness that you need healing in your body, then I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise it straight up in the air. And if you see someone with their hand raised next to you, I want you to place your hand on them and just begin to pray in the Spirit. Begin to pray as you are comfortable. The team are going to sing this again and we're going to call upon the name of Jesus. I want every hand that is raised to have people standing with them, supporting them, declaring the name of Jesus over their life. God, we thank You right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name, for every situation, every circumstance, Lord God, we declare that You are greater. We worship You, Jesus. We declare Your will be done. Your kingdom come. The glory will be revealed to them in their life, Lord God. In the name of Jesus, for healing, for cancer, for disease, for sickness, we declare the name of Jesus. Declare the name of Jesus over every family member that is far from you. Every family member, every friend that is far from you, Lord, we just declare the name of Jesus over them. We call them back to your side, Lord God. We call them back to relationship with you, Jesus. May the darkness tremble and may the light shine. Lord God, may they see your face. May they be drawn back to relationship with you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, that your name your name is above every other name. The power that is in your name is above every circumstance and situation, God. And we have no need to fear. We have no need to be anxious, God, because you are with us, God. That is your promise, God with us. And we thank you, Jesus, for that declaration this morning. We continue to pray for every life and situation. Every person that's placed their hand up this morning, we stand with them and agree with them for their miracle. We agree with them for their prayer this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. He's a good God, isn't He? Yeah, you can clap, you can praise, and then you can take a seat. Very good. Thank you, team.
Very good. How are we all this morning? Good? You well? Very good. Thank you, Andy. Very good. And we're going to uh, open our Bibles soon and get into this morning's message. But just one thing to let you know about for the men. Our monthly men's gathering is happening this Tuesday. And I wasn't organised enough to put it in the announcements, but I am preaching, so just pulled in a favour. Naughty, naughty, I'll be in trouble on Tuesday, but that's okay. Men, we are going to the movies this Tuesday night. We are going to Hoyt's Green Hills at 6.30pm to watch the new Mission Impossible movie. If you haven't already seen it, come along if you want to. Um, 6.30, Green Hills, Hoyt's this Tuesday. And then the following month, so the Tuesday, the 4th of September... The men's gathering is we're having a fire at the Rob's place. Don't worry, we're not burning down their place. We're just having a fire at their house. So that's on Tuesday, the 4th of September. So men, on the first Tuesday of each month, we just gather together and do something like that. So we have a meal or we watch a movie or we're going to hang around the fire. So you are invited to come along to that and connect. It's going to be good. Okay, this morning I'm looking at the life of Daniel. And Daniel's the type of guy in the Bible that you can't just do in one sermon, so we might do a few weeks in it. We'll see how we go. But we're going to go to Daniel chapter 1 this morning, and if you want to head there, you can. It's going to come up on the screen shortly. Just a bit of background information for you about Daniel. Daniel is um, part of the Jerusalem, lives in Jerusalem, part of the um, Israelites. They have been overthrown by King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon. The temple in Jerusalem has been raided and much of the wealth and also many people are taking captives back to Babylon. So Daniel is grown up here, but as a young boy has been taken from his family, taken from his situation and taken to a foreign land, a foreign nation. And um, we're going to read from Daniel chapter 1 verse 3. Then the king ordered this dude with a funny name, Aspenaz, his chief of staff, to bring to the palace some of the young men of Judah's royal family and other noble families who had been brought to Babylon as captives. Select only strong, healthy and good-looking young men, he said. Make sure they are well-versed in every branch of learning, are gifted with knowledge and good judgment and are suited to serve in the royal palace. Train these young men in language and literature of Babylon. The king assigned them a daily ration of food and wine from his own kitchens. They were to be trained for three years and then they would enter the royal service. Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah were four of the young men chosen, all from the tribe of Judah. The chief of staff renamed them with these Babylonian names. Daniel was called Belteshazzar, Hananiah was called Shadrach, Mishael was called Meshach, and Azariah was called Antebedugo, or Abendigo. <laughs> Daniel is chosen. He's one of the young men chosen to be trained in the language and the literature of Babylon so that he can be used for royal service. The king has a plan for these young men's life. The Message Bible puts it this way. It says this, The plan is to indoctrinate them in the Babylonian language and the law of magic and fortune telling. That's what the king wants to do to these four young men. 
This is a very different environment to the one in which they grew up in back in Jerusalem. In Jerusalem, they were raised in the ways of God. They were raised in the church, if you like. And now they've been taken to a foreign land, a foreign kingdom where false gods are worshipped. And now they're being trained in the ways of this foreign land. They would have been introduced to new things, new ways of thinking, different gods. It was completely different. Who here has ever played Marco Polo? Anyone ever played Marco Polo? You haven't lived yet if you haven't played Marco Polo. But when you're playing Marco Polo, there's something that people do and they get out of the pool and they try and run it around. And who knows what you need to call out when they are doing that. What is it? Fish out of water. Because they are a fish out of water. And it's like the saying, you don't belong there. You are not meant to be there. You are out of your natural environment. And I reckon that Daniel and his mates felt a little bit like that, like fish out of water. I can relate to Daniel because when I was nine years old, my family who were living in India as missionaries moved to Australia. And this is me, innocent, cute, good looking young man. And you're all looking at my kids and going, which one of them does it look like? But I grew up in a Christian home. We were missionaries. We were homeschooled with other missionary families. And when I was nine, we moved to Newcastle and I went to school and I was introduced to a whole new world. I was a fish out of water. I remember coming home from school and asking my mum and saying, mum, what is a bull crab? And she looked at me and thought, a bull crab? There's no strange, there's strange animals here in Australia, but there's no bull crabs. And I explained a little bit better. I said, when this guy got out at cricket today, he threw his bat down and said, bull crab. Because <laughs> I had never heard these words before. I was raised in a very sheltered, homeschool, missionary environment. And then I went to school and I was introduced to all these new words. Mum did explain, explain to me a little bit later on what he was saying and that I was not to use that word. But it was all different. It was all weird. It was all a whole new world. I was the fish out of water. And so Daniel and his mates are like that. They are in a new environment. They are in a strange environment. And they are being tried to indoctrinate it into this new world. A part of this attempt to indoctrinate them was to change their name. We read about the name change. Daniel was called... Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah was called Abednego. But listen to the significance in these name changes. These aren't just going, okay, that's not a culturally relevant name. We'll give you one that's relevant here now. Let me read a little bit about this name. The prince of the eunuchs changed the names of Daniel and his friends, partly to show his authority over them, but also in token of their being naturalized and made into Babylonians. Their Hebrew names, which they received when they were young, had something of the name of God in them. Daniel's name meant God is my judge. Hananiah's name meant the grace of the Lord. Mishael's name is he that is a strong God. And Azariah's name meant the Lord is a help. So they all had a name that spoke to them of the character and the goodness of God. But listen to what happened. To make them forget the God of their fathers, the God of their youth, they were given names that represented the Babylonian idols that were worshipped. 
Belteshazzar signifies the keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel, which was one of their false gods. Shadrach was the inspiration of the suns, which the Babylonians worshipped the sun god, which is the next one. Meshach was of the goddess Shak, under which name Venus was worshipped. And Abednego was the servant of the shining fire, which they worshipped as well. So they all had a name of God in their Hebrew upbringing name. And now in Babylon, they're all given a name which represented a false god, whether it be the god of the sun or god of Venus or the fire. They were given something that was completely different. It was an attempt to indoctrinate them into Babylon. And we also read that not only are their names changed, but they also go to change their diet. They are offered food from the king's own kitchen. And this is where we're going to pick up the story again. So they've changed their name and now they're trying to change what they feed them. They've been offered the food. Verse 8. Daniel was determined not to defile himself by eating the food and wine given to them by the king. He asked the chief of staff for permission not to eat these unacceptable foods. Now God had given him, given the chief of staff both respect and affection for Daniel. But he responded, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has ordered that you eat this food and wine. If you become pale and thin compared to the other youths your age, I am afraid the king will have me beheaded. That is a fair enough reason to be afraid. Daniel spoke with the attendant who had been appointed by the chief of staff to look after them. Please test us for 10 days on a diet of vegetables and water, Daniel said. At the end of the 10 days, see how we look compared to the other young men who are eating the king's food. Then make your decision in light of what you see. The attendant agreed to Daniel's suggested and tested them for 10 days. Pause for a minute. What was it about the food and wine given to him by the king? It would have been good food. It would have been a feast of delicacies. It would have been the most amazing Christmas spread lunch that you can think of right now in your head. And you're all thinking of lunch right now, I know. And I'm sorry for that. But imagine a feast full of delicacies. You know, there's lots of different thoughts and opinions from scholars as to why he refused this food. A common thought is that the food the Babylonians ate most likely included meat that was forbidden in the Jewish law. Example, pork. Meat that was considered unclean. Are you ready for a joke? This is an early entrant for the Father's Day Dad joke of the year. A Jewish rabbi and a Catholic priest were good friends. At a picnic one day, the priest was eating a ham sandwich. You know, he said to his friend, this ham sandwich is delicious. I know you're not supposed to eat ham, but I don't understand why such a good thing would be forbidden. When will you break down and try a ham sandwich? To which the rabbi replied, I'll try a ham sandwich on your wedding day. (laughs) Some of you haven't got it and some of you did and think it's lame, but that's okay. Other people suggested that the food and the wine would have been offered to idols and therefore it was unclean. The Babylonians were also known to mix blood with their wine and this was against the Jewish law. The scripture doesn't say exactly what his reasons were. We only know that he believed he would be defiling himself if he were to eat and drink this food and wine. It doesn't give us a reason. It just says he believed that it was wrong for him to do it. In the New King James, it says Daniel purposed in his heart not to eat and drink. So it came from his heart. It came from a conviction deep within. I don't believe it was done out of religion 
or custom. I don't believe it was done out of, no, we shouldn't do that because we were told not to do that as kids. No, it says he purposed in his heart. That tells me it was a strong belief from deep within and he believed that it was wrong for him to eat this food and to drink this wine. Just pause for a second. Today we don't live under the same laws that Daniel did. In Acts 10, God appears to Peter in a dream and he says, Do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. We are free to eat what we like. 1 Corinthians 10 also says that everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Also in Corinthians, Paul tells us that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit and that our bodies are something worth looking after. So in freedom... And in grace, not in law, we make a decision what we put into our body, everything being permissible, but not everything being beneficial. And we make decisions as to what goes in based on that. There is loads of information out there about nutrition and diets based around the Bible, and I know this much of it, so I'm not going to tell you what to eat and what to drink. But what I will say is this. Studies have shown that vegetarians live up to nine years longer than meat eaters. That's nine horrible, miserable years without bacon. Seriously, though, everything is permissible. It's about deciding what's beneficial and looking after your body that God has given you. But for Daniel, it wasn't a law. It wasn't a rule. It was a decision based on his beliefs and his conviction in his heart. He made a decision based on his conviction, not on what was going on around him. Even though Daniel had this strong conviction, he was still wise in his approach. Look at what he did. He politely asked that he not be served the food and drink. Daniel didn't go on a hunger strike. He asked permission I read this great quote, making a stand for Jesus does not mean we must be obnoxious. You can still have manners. You can still be a nice person and make a stand for Jesus. He asked permission. And when he asked, he also did something really important. He offered an alternative. He didn't just say, I'm not eating that food. Come up with something better for me. He said, no, I don't want to eat that food and I would rather eat this. He gave an alternative. See, leaders don't just report problems. Leaders report a problem and then say, and here's a solution that I think would work to help fix this problem. They show initiative in your workplace, in your family, in your school. Don't just be someone that reports a problem and says, I'm not happy with that. No, speak up if you need to speak up, but also bring a solution. Daniel brought a problem for him, but he also brought a solution. He offered an alternative plan. And the most important thing was, He was prepared for his plan to be tested. He was prepared to put his money where his mouth was. He was prepared to say, look, after 10 days of doing things differently, if it doesn't work, then we'll go with what you say. But let's just give it a time to be tested. So he didn't just throwing out ideas there, left, right and centre. He said, no, here's something that will work and I'm prepared for it to be tested. I'm prepared to put this principle that I believe deep within my heart, I'm prepared to let it see if it works in real life. I'm prepared to put the truth that I believe into practice in my life and I'm prepared for it to be judged and tested. What a great way to live, to put the truths that you believe in your heart to test, to let the rubber hit the road and see if this thing actually works. Let's read these next few verses, 
15 to 21. At the end of 10 days, Daniel and his three friends looked healthier and better nourished than the young men who had been eating the food assigned by the king. So after that, the attendant fed them only vegetables instead of the food and wine for the others. God gave these four young men an unusual aptitude for understanding every aspect of literature and wisdom. And God gave Daniel the special ability to interpret the meanings of visions and dreams. When the training period ordered by the king was completed, the chief of staff brought all the young men to King Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them and listened to this, and no one impressed him as much as Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the royal service. Whenever the king consulted them in any matter requiring wisdom and balanced judgment, he found them ten times more capable than any of the magicians and enchanters in his entire kingdom. Daniel remained in the royal service until the first year of the king Cyrus. Daniel's plan worked. After 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than the others. This was partly natural effect, but I also believe it was a blessing on his life, a blessing that came upon him, which helped him to take, you know, 10 days is not enough to change your diet, is it? If you go, I want, to cha- I want to lose some weight, I want to get healthier, 10 days is not enough time to change your physical appearance. But in 10 days of obedience to God, it says that they were standouts and they were marked as being people that were stood out. And I believe it was a blessing and favor on his life that as he put God first, there was a supernatural favor that came upon him. God backed up his decision. God backed him up and not only in those 10 days, but all the years of him serving the king. Do you know, Daniel actually didn't just serve this king. He went on to serve following kings. He outlasted the king himself. And it says that the king found these young men to be 10 times more capable than all the others. When it came to spiritual matters, the Babylonian magicians and enchanters didn't come close to these men from Jerusalem. They couldn't match it with them. They were standouts in what they did. They were leaders in their marketplace. In a kingdom that didn't follow or honour God, these men who followed and honoured God, they stood out. They were noticeably different What a great example for you and I. What a great example for us to how to live our life. And I believe it started when they set themselves apart, when they refused to compromise with who they were. I read this about Daniel. They had changed his name. They changed his environment. They changed his language. They changed his learning. But they couldn't change his nature or his character. Whatever they pleased to call him, he still retained the spirit of an Israelite. He still retained that spirit of someone who followed God no matter what. They didn't go along with what everyone else was doing. I read this great quote. It says this, He that lives according to opinion will never be rich or never be successful or never do anything significant. If you live unto human opinion, you will never do anything of significance. You've got to live unto what God says, not about what man says. Daniel lived according to his convictions and it's this that set him apart and I believe God blessed him and used him to bring glory in a foreign land. The main lesson that I learned from reading Daniel is simply this. God blesses what we set apart. The things that we set apart is the things that God blesses. What is it for you this morning? Is it your time? Is it your finances? Is it your gifts? Is it your talents? When we look at our time, we've all got the same amount of time, don't we? No one gets any more time in the day. We all get exactly the same amount. 
I want to ask you this morning, what time are you setting apart for your relationship with God? What time are you setting apart to hear the voice of God? God can speak anywhere at any time. But I believe that when we take time out of our day and say, God, I'm here to hear from you. I'm here to spend time with you in your presence. It actually awakens our spirit and awakens our spiritual ears, if you like, to be listening through all the other times. When you spend time listening to his voice, you're actually giving him permission to speak at any time in the day. Because God wants to speak to us. He wants to guide us. He wants to direct us. And I believe that when we set apart time for him, we are letting him in. We are giving him permission to speak. He doesn't need permission to speak. We just need to spend the time where we can listen, where we can hear the voice of God. Maybe it's your finances. Some people struggle with the whole principle of tithing. Because tithing is essentially this. It's setting apart the first 10% of what you make and giving it to God. And by setting apart the 10%, you are inviting God to bless the 90%. You are inviting God to bless the rest. By tithing, it is as if you are saying to God, I recognize you first. I'm putting you first in my life and I trust you to take care of the rest of the things in my life. For me personally, I would rather live of 90% with God's blessing and favor on my life than to have 100% and be removed from it. That's just my personal thing. You can live how you want to live your life. But I believe that when you set something apart, you invite permission for all of it to be blessed. By setting apart time, you're inviting all of it to be blessed. By setting apart finance, you're inviting all of it to be blessed. What about your gifts and your talents? Who's got a gift? Every hand should be up. Who's got a talent? We've all got them. Some of them more obvious than others, but God has given us talents and abilities to do things in our life. And I believe they should be done for God's glory in the church and in our lives, in our communities, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our homes, on the sporting fields. God wants us to use what he has given us for his glory. And I believe that when we set apart our gifts and our talents and we say, God, these are not for my glory These are not for my will to be done, but they are for your will to be done. I believe we're inviting again the blessing in. You know, in Arnhem Land, I met a guy who um, is from Queensland, but he's currently traveling around Australia in a caravan with his three young kids. He needs lots of prayer for that. But he calls himself a missionary and people go, where are you a missionary? And he goes, Adelaide, Brisbane, Gold Coast, Darwin, Toowoomba basically any city of Australia. And his call, and his, he calls it a personal assignment, is to the corporate world. He feels a call to reach people in business. That's his people group that he feels called to reach. And so he sees himself not as a businessman, but as a missionary to the business world. Not only as a missionary to the business world, but also to encourage Christian businessmen and women to see their business as a kingdom business, not just any other business in the world. To be set apart for God. See, I love that Daniel's call and Daniel's ministry here is not in the temple. He's miles away from the temple. He's been ripped out of the temple and placed in a foreign land. But God uses his gifts and talents in the marketplace in a, what's the right word? A kingdom that doesn't follow God. False gods are worshipped. 
false gods are praised, people that don't lift up the name of Jesus, but God places Daniel in the midst of it and uses him anyway. He set apart himself. He made himself available. And I believe that serving God should never just be about serving in church. I actually believe it should involve both serving in church and in your community. I don't believe it's a choice between the two. I believe it's serving God wherever you are. And if you're part of a church community, you serve in that church community. If you're part of a local soccer club, serve in that local soccer club. If you're part of a school, serve in that school. If you're part of a workplace, see every area of your life as an opportunity to serve God and glorify God. In this church, and I'm sure in any church in Australia, there will always be opportunities for people to be involved, for people to use their gifts and their talents for the glory of God. But it is never, ever, ever just in church. It is always, I believe, all of our life. God actually wants us to set apart every area of our life. As I finish this morning, I want to read you Romans 12 from the message. It says this, Here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work and you're walking around and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Church, that is our call. That is a scripture that I believe describes Daniel's life. He is an example of this. He showed us how you can remain in a culture and be effective for God in a culture without becoming like that culture. See, we're called to be not, what does it say? We're in the world, but we're not of the world. And I think sometimes we get that wrong and we, we try and um, blend in too much. You were never called to blend in. You were called to stand out and to be set apart. That doesn't mean you have to be obnoxious or you have to be weird or you have to be fruity or any of those other words. It simply means you use the God-given talents that God has given you to serve him wherever you are, wherever you go. That you stand out, that you don't become so well adjusted, but you make a decision and say, God, you know what? My world may change. The environment I might be in may not be very nice. Who is honest and goes to work in an environment that's not a nice environment? Some of you. You've got to do that tomorrow. You're going to go into an environment that's toxic. You're going to go into an environment where God is not lifted up, where it's difficult. But you go, not on your own. You go surrounded. You go as an ambassador. You go as a representative of God. Using your gifts using your talents, using your life to bring glory to God. Not adjusting to the culture and fitting in, but saying, you know, there's something different about me. I am a child of God and God is with me and God is for me. Daniel lived his life based on his convictions, not just on popular opinion. Thanks to this wonderful thing called Facebook, everyone is given an opinion. 
Everyone is given a platform to promote their view, their opinion, their thoughts. But we don't live our life based on what's popular on social media. We live our life based on the Word of God. We live our life based on our convictions deep within our heart. We don't live our life on religion, on things that we were taught as kids and things that we have to do or we should do. No, we should live our life based out of a deep conviction that comes from within our heart. That we don't do these things because we have to, we do these things because we actually believe in them. We believe in the truth, we believe in the Word of God and that is how we choose to live our life. This morning I want to pray. I want us all to close our eyes across this room. And I want to pray for you if there's any area of your life that you feel this morning God is calling you, you need to set apart for Him. Maybe there's an area of your life that you've been holding on and it's been set apart for you. But God's saying, no, I want it set apart for me. We're realigning, we're repositioning where it belongs. Whether it be your finances, whether it be your time, whether it be your work, whatever it might be. If that's you this morning, I just want you to raise your hand and say, yeah, God, I'm repositioning. Yeah, there's hands going up across this room. This is just you and God saying, I'm repositioning some of that stuff. Some of that stuff that I had assigned for me, I'm saying, no, God, it is yours. I want to be a person that sets my life apart, sets my life apart for your kingdom, for your glory. God, I pray for the hands raised across this room. And God, I pray that right now, as they make this decision with their hand going up, that you would do a deep work within their heart, that they would set apart their lives for you, for your glory and for your kingdom, that you would use what they set apart to see great things happen, Lord God. As they set apart their time, their resources, their finance, their gifts, their abilities, as they set apart their lives, Lord God, that a blessing would be upon them, that favour would be upon them, that your glory would shine on them and they would be reflectors of your glory wherever they go and whatever they do. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Just with everyone still with their eyes closed, if you're here this morning and you've never made a a decision to invite Jesus into your heart, a decision that says, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that what it says in the Bible is true. I believe that I can have a relationship and I can have a life in Him. This morning, I want you to raise your hand and just say, yeah, that's me, Lottie. I want to do that today. I want to invite Jesus into my heart. I want to invite Jesus into my life. I want to make a decision to follow Him, to live for Him. I'll always give you this opportunity because I believe it's important that you have an opportunity to invite the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords into your life. And if that's you, just raise your hand up across this room. I'm not going to prolong it much longer, but this is your opportunity to invite Jesus into your life, to set apart your life once and for all for Him. Say, Jesus, my life belongs to You. I want to live my life following You. God, we thank You this morning that we are Your kids. We thank You, Lord God, that You set apart Your Son to come to this earth to give us life and life to the full. God, we, may we live our lives in the knowledge of what you've done for us. May we live our lives not striving, not trying to be something that we're not, but simply living out the life that you've called us to live, obedient to you, a life lived out of conviction, not out of convenience, 
a life lived out of your thoughts, not man's thoughts, a life surrendered to you. We thank you, Jesus, for all you've done. We give our lives afresh to you. Have your will, have your way in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.